Hello, everyone. This is Charlie. And this is the next podcast in the series, To Hell and Back. It is August 1st. I'm in Northampton, Massachusetts. It's 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And we're going to continue on skills. DBT skills. Though I have no doubt I'm going to throw in other skills once we move along. Um, Anyone who listened to the last podcast where I discussed or I taught about mindfulness skills, the six skills that one uses on the way to um, activating wise mind in oneself for making wiser decisions and having wider awareness. Uh, I may have expected that I will now be moving into the next module of skill distress tolerance skills. I actually began on those at the end of the last one. But now there's been a week interval, and during that time, of course, everything changes. And one of the things that changes is my agenda for today. I don't mean to do that to throw you off. I just realized that if I'm going to uh, seriously imagine that you're going to use these skills and that you haven't necessarily been exposed to them a lot before, I feel you need to know some more things uh, to deepen your understanding of what these skills are and how to operationalize them, how to make them work. Um, so I want to make several uh, points about skills in general. And then I want to get back into mindfulness skills, and you'll hear why. Um, please don't be totally turned off by that idea if you think you've already mastered those skills, because these are actually, it's a different, it's a different and it's a crucial approach. Um, here's one of the points I want to make. I wish that skills had a different name. Uh, after all these years, maybe that's part of the problem for me, but it also seems that, you know, in treatment, when I'm working with people and trying to teach skills, they say, oh, no, I don't want to learn skills. I've heard of DBT skills, or I've already been to DBT skills, and it makes it sound as if they're just these kind of dead things, um, DBT skills. So the the word skills is a boring word uh, for many people. Um, um, I don't know why. Because uh, actually the skills in DBT are anything but boring if you grasp what they are. Every single one of them provides a pivot from what you're doing now to doing something different that would hopefully advance your cause towards what you want. Uh, so they're pretty juicy as as it is if you think of them that way. But there is something about skills, uh, naming them skills, and the way some people talk about them that makes them rather boring. So I'm going to try to make sure I'm not contributing to that. Second, when you learn any of these skills, not just the mindfulness skills, but the whole, any one skill in the whole skills package, it really, hard as this is, it's very important, if you're going to find out if it works for you, to use it all the way. Uh, whether you're doing mindfulness of emotions that are passing through your mind, whether you're trying to act opposite the urges that go with your emotions in order to reduce a certain emotion, 
whether you're doing the so-called dear man skill, which is seven guidelines for asking effectively for what you want, whether you're doing radical acceptance or distracting skills, any, any, any skill is going to have a higher payoff if you actually participate in it, meaning totally jump in and let go of your worries about it, your doubts about it, your skepticism about it, and try it. Really try to get your skill, get into the skill with both feet. That's the only way you'll learn if it works uh, for you and uh, what and in what way it needs to be modified for you to make it work. Next point. You never know what skill is going to work. I've discovered this over and over again even in an example yesterday that I'm going to tell an example from yesterday that I'm going to mention later. Um where you really have to try things that are in the kind of right ballpark for what kind of skill might be helpful to you. And you've learned something about it and you try it and uh and then you find you know that really didn't work. And that's absolutely possible. Not every single skill works in every occasion for every person. Um, but you want to try them all and try them uh, fully to see what works and know that you won't know which one's going to work. And sometimes it's surprising what skill you need, what skill will work, how it is that's different from what you've always done. Maybe you hear the name of a skill and you say, oh, I already know what that is. But actually, you sort of might not know the way it is, uh, the way it's taught in DBT. So I'm really just encouraging an open mind and jumping in with both feet and a willingness to find out that some skills don't work. Now, this next point, very important, and it's going to be one of the themes for today. You know, I, I taught you six mindfulness skills and the concept of wise mind last time. So now you've got a vocabulary of six skills. However... You, to use any of those skills, you, you need what I'm going to call booster skills. Uh, sort of drawing from the concept of booster rockets. If you know what booster rockets is, when you have a, a rocket that's a sustaining rocket that will travel long distance through space, in order to get it out of the atmosphere here, we need a booster rocket hooked onto it that provides the thrust in the first stage of the journey, and then it falls off afterwards, and the sustaining rocket continues. The skills have a very similar thing, but often people don't talk about the booster skill. Uh, I've called these in the past also the skill, the skills that you need in order to use the skills. Uh, but I like the term booster skills better. Um, and uh uh and the idea is that if you're going if you're going along your day gosh try to think of an example you're just going through your day um and uh there's something very disagreeable that happens and you end up uh unfortunately the uh carrier of some very negative emotions and thoughts that are passing you through you and kind of ruining your experience of the day and uh, let's say it's hard to just jerk yourself out of that. Now, I would say that there are a lot of DBT skills that could be used at that point in order to change your course, change your tra trajectory, 
pivot to a different experience. Um, so there's not just one skill to do that, but whatever skill you're going to go to, you have to actually get there. And maybe it's something you know how to do, like even the skill of observing that I talked about last time, of just noticing exactly what is kind of hitting the pause button and noticing something in detail or depth, uh, that that already changes your experience. But how do you get yourself to do that? Let's say you know how to do that, you've been taught that, you've practiced that, and one way that you will get yourself to do that is if you've practiced it many, many, many times, because anything you've practiced many, many, many times, you've started to create a habit, and then it's available to you. You don't have to construct it in the moment. So let's say you want to call on observe. How do you get there? You're going along. You're having a lot of negative emotional experience. And uh, you'd like to pivot. And the first thing that gets you there is if you become aware that you are having negative experience and that you would like to do something about it. Just the awareness that you're having a negative experience is actually a booster skill How do you come to that awareness? How do you grab hold? Uh, think of it this way. Uh, at any given moment in life, you're living a, you're living the script of a movie. And that script is going along. And at times when there's negative experience or pressured experience or impulsive feelings, you know, the script has picked up its pace and its intensity. And there you are going along. And what's carrying you along? How do you know the script? Well, you are, this, the script is in you from the past. The script is a set of automatic reaction patterns, automatic habits that just automatically click into place when you're in a bad mood or when you hear certain kinds of news or something like that. And then you do whatever has been your historical habit pattern. You do that. And it might feel bad, but that's what you do because that's what you know how to do and that's what you've learned to do and that's what's been reinforced in the past as you've grown up and learned how to cope with different situations. And now you want to change course. You want to break out of that. You don't want to just follow along with your habit. So you actually have to be aware, oops, I want to, I'd like to change course. As soon as you say that to yourself or think that to yourself in whatever way you do that, you now are actually Um, beginning to move into observing because you're observing your state and you're observing your state and you're observing that you would like to make a choice, have a choice to make a different uh, direction. Um, so you're already using observe. And one of the points I want to make in the, all of this is that observing is one of the, is itself both a skill, a substantial, you might say, um, what do you call that? Sustaining skill, something you can use in many situations over time and as a, and as a uh, way into a lot of other skills. But it also is often the booster skill. It's often the skill that boosts you into realizing you'd like to make a change. You are overwhelmed. You realize you're overwhelmed. You realize you have a lot of negative affect. You realize you're approaching a situation that makes you very uncertain and worried. Um, you realize that you're starting to have an increasing number of pessimistic thoughts and you have a history of depression. And so you start to think, uh-oh, you're already starting to use observe there, but just as a booster, and then you want to see where are you going to go from there. So I just want to encourage you to, it's not enough just to learn the skills. People go to skills groups 
people watch things on video, people learn from one-on-one. They learn, like I taught you last week, how to use the six skills of mindfulness or what they are and even how to use them, some ideas of how to use them. But how do you get yourself <clears throat> into using them? It's just, you know, that's that's a very important thing. So I'm going to be moving into back into mindfulness skills now in particular today, and I realize that delays going back to some other things. Um, uh, or going on with other things, but don't worry, those are going to come. But since we're in the middle of skills, I just decided to, uh, just to, today, I just decided, you know what, some of you probably know this and some of you don't, but uh, I do write songs about DBT and DBT concepts and sometimes about the skills. So I'm going to sing you a skills song that some of you, if you've been to things with me before, may have heard this one. Or you may have seen it on my website or somewhere else on the internet. It's a skills song. Oh, give me a skill instead of a pill when negative feelings are here. With something to do, I can navigate through sadness, shame, anger, and fear. Please help me to see just what I can do to get free of acts and beliefs that while giving relief hurt my self-efficacy. When life is a test and I'm sorely distressed and I can't tolerate one more day, I need skills to survive through a crisis alive so I don't throw my whole life away. Please give me a clue for accepting what's painful but true to distract and self-soothe and this moment improve till the worst of the feelings pass through. Can you possibly show me how to say no? I never learned how it should be. I can't get it right. I end up in a fight or I give up what matters to me. Please help me to know effectively how to say no. Using dear man give fast so my friendships can last without sacrificing my goal. So help me to find my way to wise mind where emotions and reason are paired. Where discouraging words just fly by like birds. And I know if I'm scared, I'm just scared. Observe and describe. Participate brings me alive. One thing at a time. Leave the judgment behind. And finally, just do what works. All right. If you knew the skills well, you'd, you'd realize I just covered... Uh, Four, the four skills module, the final one being the mindfulness one. Okay, let me go into mindfulness, back into mindfulness skills, um, and and address some things I didn't that make it more practical. Uh, first of all, when do you use them? When it sort of implies also why, but what are the situations that call for mindfulness skills? And here's the one, here's the main times that I use them or when I, that I tell other people are useful to use. Now, one is when there's nothing really wrong. I mean, 
there's just ordinary life is going by. You're feeling okay. And it really just is, uh, it, it deepens and enriches your experience. So this is often what people are doing when they're going to practice mindfulness in uh, meditation groups uh, or, or retreats, is that they aren't always in a bad state in those situations. They're sometimes just, just acquiring or strengthening these skills, but also uh, experiencing life in the moment at a deeper level. It increases your awareness of what you're paying attention to. It helps you to tune in to what's going on in you or around you. It sort of can take you sometimes to a deeper level of, of experience. And, uh, and, and enri- like I say, enrich, it might enrich what you're seeing, what you're looking at, what you're hearing, what you're listening to, you know, what you're touching, what you're feeling, uh, etc. Now, another uh, time to use mindfulness skills is when you're just having sort of neutral feelings. In other words, you're not either very positive or very negative. But you would like to convert your neutral feelings to more positive. So you might start to notice certain things that increase your sense of uh, positive emotions. Like, for instance, one that Thich Nhat Hanh teaches, and he teaches many versions of this, but the most common one I've heard is, you know, if you don't have a toothache at the moment, you could meditate, be mindful, just be aware of the absence of a toothache. And what a wonderful thing it is to have no toothache. You could just become aware that it's amazing to have vision. And right now I'm looking out a window and seeing all these beautiful trees outside. And so there's, you know, the the gift of vision. You realize, and this is sort of a gratitude practice, where you can go from neutral to relatively positive. You, you start to recognize what, is rich about your life or what you can see and what you can do. And then there's the um, uh, use of mindfulness skills to make good decisions. Something's coming up. Uh, I just was heard from someone today who's trying to consider whether to switch from one college to another, a college student. And uh, so it would be useful possibly to... Um, use mindfulness skills to get in into a deeper version of wise mind so that the decision about college has rational elements to it, it has emotional elements to it, it has intuitive elements to it, it's aligned with one's values, and it just feels like the right place to go or thing to do, everything uh, being known, and knowing that you never know. You just never know when you make decisions exactly how it's going to come out. Um, so you could use it for making decisions. And then there's the one that probably is the most important one for people who are trying to get out of hell or survive hell. And that is if you have a great deal of discomfort or distress or pain um, and you want to uh, uh, just uh, be able to use mindfulness skills to recognize the reality of exactly accurately what is going on uh, in yourself, in your environment, in someone else sometimes. You know, what's, let's say you have a partner, a life partner, who you find has really gotten irritable the last two days, and you, and you feel criticized. And uh, 
that activates certain automatic reaction patterns in you of guilt or repair or resentment or whatever it is. It just sort of flows from your history. And you decide, wait a minute, and you want to step outside that and you use your booster rocket to say, okay, let me just observe what's going on and we're going to talk about how to practice that a little bit more practically. But then you might start asking yourself, what what is going on with my life partner right now? What What is he or she experiencing? And then as soon as you open your eyes or mind to that that question, it may occur to you, oh, of course, you know, um, he or she is waiting to hear the results of a biopsy from a medical visit and hasn't said a word about it, but I, but I, I would imagine that that would be something, or maybe it's something else, or just maybe to notice that that's the nature of irritability, and then you want to think skillfully of how you want to respond to that one way or another, um, so that you can uh, start to use... Uh, Mindfulness to diagnose, uh, mindfulness to detect what's going on in yourself or your environment. Um, there are people, it's very common, and I am among these people, who when you return to your primary, you know, your family of origin, uh, it sets off all kinds of feelings and reactions that are almost automatic. You know, I have a younger brother, and I'll get into a... Uh, and <laughs> My younger brother Mark and I discovered some years ago at a really contentious Christmas that uh, we both were convinced that our dog when we were young, when we were boys, named Pete, was our dog. Like, I thought Pete was my dog. I was convinced Pete was my dog, an essential part of my identity. Same thing for my brother Mark. And so then we get into a thing, which is not unlike other things we've gotten into over time. And I have different thing with my oldest brother and my next oldest brother and, and my younger sister. And so these patterns just, boom, they're just right there, even if I haven't seen people for a while. I'm anticipating this, you know, I'm actually going out there in a week and a half to Oregon for a wedding, a family wedding, and uh, so I'm going to see everybody. So already I'm anticipating um, these patterns. And... I think that the more I can enter into that situation uh, using observe, describe, participate in some things, like totally jump into some things, like music might happen, uh, and conversations I might jump into. Not the negative aspects of things, but I want to be able to just objectively observe and describe I'm gonna I'm gonna do better there. I'm not gonna go underwater the way I might at other times and get involved in some sort of uh non productive back and forth with family members. Um so, you know, we use it um we use the mindfulness skills to get our minds around to become aware of these painful things. Uh whether it be physical pain and there's plenty of evidence that it actually helps to tolerate physical pain um, and um, and anxiety. So there's those things. All right, so those are lots of things. There's lots of times to use mindfulness skills. The next point I want to make is, you know, they're sort of transferable in that there's certain way that mindfulness skills work, observing skills, describing skills, non-judgmental skills, participating, one mindfulness skills and effectiveness. These six skills 
where you can practice them in one setting and strengthen your repertoire of using them so they just become more natural, more automatic, so that if you're now in a difficult situation under a lot of pressure, if you've practiced them regularly, meaning like daily or pretty frequently, and then you say to yourself when you're in this really difficult situation, breathe, and then you notice your breath going in and all the senses that go with that, and breathe out, um, you know, you're almost instantly transformed into a more observer status so that you're both experiencing what's going on in you and around you, and you're also experiencing yourself as an observer. You've activated your observer part, you might say. And so if you have practiced observing your breath, observing your body, observing your environment, uh, in a deliberate way, time and time again, uh, then you are more likely in situations whether you're trying to enrich your experience or cope with anger or cope with shame or cope with some negative thing that's happening around you, you're just more likely to be able to use that, which is no big surprise that somehow people have trouble getting this message about such invisible skills. I mean... Um, you know, obviously, uh, if you have a sport and you learn to shoot a basketball, the person who puts in the most practice shooting a certain shot in a certain situation again and again and again, then a game is going to be happening. And at that moment in the game, when that shot would make, you know, a basket would make a significant difference, you're just obviously much more likely to decide to do it in other words, the booster rocket of now's the time to make this shot, and then to actually have the skill to do it. So uh, this is sounds to me very boring as I hear myself say these things, but, you know, often these boring things are just not made unboring enough to and, and emphatic enough to say, it won't work without this. You can't get away without getting ready. So I want to encourage you. And you can practice mindfulness skills, any one of them, uh, daily, repeatedly, you could set a timer or your phone to go off at a certain time of day and you know that that's going to be your cue for practicing three minutes of just observing what's going on in your mind, observing the breath, counting your breaths with complete immersion in that activity, uh, observing uh, the colors in the room around you, observing the sounds that are going on in the place you are. Any kind of observing that you're going to do that for three minutes or one minute or 30 seconds, and then it, you're done, and then you're going to practice it again later in the day. Or you might not use a timer. You might use uh, other cues that uh, remind you. You might have, some people have put colored dots, like in different places in their house, in their bedroom or their bathroom or on their refrigerator, and when they notice one of the dots, they stop and take like one fully conscious breath, just observing the breath, describing the breath, or maybe three breaths. Um, some people have decided that whenever they walk upstairs, maybe they have stairs in the house, they're going to take it one step at a time, which is one mindfulness practice, is just do one thing at a time and notice everything about that each per each sequential uh, step. Um, you could pra decide to practice mindfulness 
at the beginning of dinner for a minute before you launch into any conversation or just dealing with uh, what's going on at, at dinner. And of course, some people do that uh, together uh, in the form of prayer uh, or or something like that. Uh, or maybe when you're driving on the road, you decide I'm anytime I'm driving, I'm going to spend part of my time driving just noticing the experience of driving in an observe from an observer status, which is not what we usually do. We usually drive mindlessly, perfectly skillfully, but mindlessly. And mindfulness is to puff up that observer part of oneself and notice it and maybe describe what the experience is of driving or what you're passing by. Um, some people will practice mindfulness when they wake up in the morning. That's a cue for them. And every morning when they wake up, they're going to have their head on the pillow, maybe lie on their back or and, and just take several breaths that are completely noticed. Um, so, And it could be involved with anything, but if you practice in those ways, not only does it actually provide little pauses in your usual day, which is a pretty good thing to do in lots of ways, uh, so that you don't get into sort of a rush, 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 and into just activating your usual, the usual movie that you're playing out. Okay? Um, all right. I want to talk to you about some examples of now getting into concretely uh, using uh, activating mindfulness skills in in as with your booster rockets. Um, here's an example. Let's say you have a 25 year old daughter. <laughs> Realize if you're seven and you're listening to this, this is going to require some imagination. Um, let's say you have a 25-year-old daughter who is planning suddenly and lets you know she's moving across the country to be with a boyfriend who she has just recently met online. And she's very excited about him and thinks it'll be great. And she's decided to go across the country and move in with him. And this is not a new pattern, let's say, for this daughter. And it has led her to no un... Uh, no small amount of suffering uh, when these things fall apart. And it looks like this person, from the way she describes him, ha- has some of the same features. He's, he's hard to, He plays a little bit hard to get, shows a lot of interest, but he's a little hard to get, and he's, uh, uh, he, he can be mean. He can say abrupt, curt things that actually show that he's not really taking very good care of you, of her. Um, and, uh, and he might be alcoholic, she says, but she doesn't know, or if he is, he seems to be managing it well. Uh, but he's really fun. He's just funny, and he's fun. And you are jerked into an old pattern in yourself of responding to this old pattern in her, and you feel anxiety. You see a train wreck coming. You feel like you know it's coming. You think the probabilities are extremely high. And you, uh, and you know, if you follow your old script, you can just feel, oh my God, I have to have a talk with her. Is she going to do this again? And you have this, uh, feeling of anxiety and anticipation and feeling like I can't let her do this yet again. And at this point, you desperately need the skill of observe. You need the skill of, once you realize, oh my God, I'm leaning into this like, like with pressure and with tension 
anxiety and worry, and I've been down this road before, and it usually doesn't work out very well. Uh, I don't know what else to do, though. It's all I can think of right now, and she's leaving in a couple days. And so then I would say that that recognition that these are danger signs, these are warning signs, uh, that that boosts you into just observing. So at this point, you need observe in order to push the pause button in yourself and wake up to your own experience before you go any further to notice, gee, I'm breathing heavily. My body is tense. I feel anxious. I feel uh, my face feels tight. I'm uh, nervous about my daughter. I'm nervous about what I'm going to say to my daughter. Um, you start to notice that you're actually being pretty judgmental. You just assume that she's, you know, doing another stupid, poor judgment thing. And you have every reason to think that, but you realize that having these judgments about her and these assumptions of how it's going to go are, they may be uh, beneficial in some ways, but they also trigger your deeper anxieties. And so you notice that you have these judgments and you also have judgments about yourself. You start to notice that how could I have raised her in a way that this is what she's still doing at age 25. And and what you really need at this point is just non-judgmental observing, maybe describing your experience, describing your thoughts and realizing these are frightening thoughts and they're just thoughts as of now. They're predictions. Uh, and you notice your emotions. And by the way, emotions in many ways are predictions. They are uh, triggered by what you assume is coming. And so you get caught in an emotion like that, and you need to work towards being non-judgmental, which is one of the mindfulness skills, and also being, being effective, one of the mindfulness skills, because you realize that in the past, this has, these conversations haven't worked out very well, and you're, uh, and you are feeling, uh, that you want to be effective this time. So you might have to, uh, notice, okay, I don't think this is right for her to do this. I think it's a really bad idea for her to do this. I predict it's going to be a bad outcome and it's going to be very painful. And who knows what he's like and whether she can even trust herself to be with him. Um, and at the same time, you wake up to the reality that she's 25. And you have done your thing. You raised her, and you can still have input, but ideally, you're like the launching pad that has now launched your daughter who is making decisions and learning from her decisions, and it's really going to be her business, and she's really going to run her own life, and she really is going to create her own pain, as we all do, and then hopefully learn from that. And you want to be a resource to her, and you tend to destroy yourself as a resource if you get into a fight with her about this, which is what you kind of feel like doing because you feel you've got to share your anxiety with her as if she doesn't know that you would have it, as if she doesn't uh, hasn't heard this before. Um, and if you can get yourself calmed down by practicing observing and describing of your emotions, of your thoughts, of the facts, and you can try to be uh, without judgment about it, but just stay to facts and, and, and realize that, you know, one of the facts is that you have thoughts and feelings and worries and about your daughter. And if you can let yourself have those and allow them to be in you and allow them to come and allow them to go 
or to soften or to deepen or whatever they're going to do. Just let them be rather than battling even these feelings and rather than battling with your daughter. You are taking care of yourself. You're taking care of your anxiety, your worries. You're taking care of your reactions. And then you're, in a way, you're preparing yourself for a different kind of interaction. And who knows? Maybe then sit down with your daughter that night and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this trip. You know, this could be challenging. You've been through some of these before. But let me tell you, I know that you have the capability to figure this out. I really do. I'm starting to feel like, you know... You don't need me telling you what to do. If you ask me, I'll be glad to think with you about it. But I just want you to know that I have confidence that you can figure this out. And who knows what this guy will be like. And and know that you could reach me if you need to. You know, in that kind of way of approaching, you're probably not going to get someone who's going to fight you, except if she's so sensitive because of all the previous fights you've had. Um, and you've taken care of yourself, so it really pays off because she finds, oh my God, my mother or my father is now different than ever before. Um, so just an idea about using weaving mindfulness skills in in the moment and how you have to, in a way, interrupt one movie before you pivot into using uh, mindful observing or any other mindful skill. Um how do you interrupt the pattern? How do you interrupt the movie and then be able to shift gears? I'll just tell you practically what I have done and what people I know have done and people I've worked with have done. And lots, everybody does different things, you know, and, but there's a lot, but they all have the same sort of, uh, they're like a wake up call. They're like a bugle in the morning when you've been sleeping and you're now going to change to an awake trajectory. So ones that I use, because I do a lot of breathing practice or meaning mindfulness or observing of breathing, um, is breathe. I just say, okay, Charlie, breathe. And I use my name. Even that helps. Charlie, breathe. I, because I'm talking to my experiencing self from my observing self. So uh, breathe. Or I might say to myself or someone might say to yourself, Wake up. Come on, wake up. Wake up. And that might work. Some people might use the DBT uh, skill from the distress tolerance package of stop, S-T-O-P, and say, stop it. Just stop it. Stop right here. Stop, meaning uh, uh, S for stop, going down that road. Stop this movie. Sort of have an image of you're watching a movie on your television or your VCR or whatever you've got and uh, and there's always a pause button and so it's really like stopping the movie in order for to just stop going down that pathway for a little bit and then you can turn it on again but a stop is to stop to say to yourself Charlie stop and then the T is and take a step back take a step back from where you were going, but give yourself that to me that means give yourself space. Give yourself space to just notice. And the O is for observe. So this is a vehicle to bring yourself the skill of observing. Saying stop, take a step back, now observe. And what do you observe? Well you observe uh, what what the uh, what's coursing through your body, what your sensations are, what your proprioceptive experience is. 
um, and you're uh, noticing what's around you, and you're noticing what's going through your mind. So you're observing all of this in relation to what's uh, this movie that's going on. You're just noticing all of this. And uh, and the other way that O is important, I think, for uh, this isn't how it's taught in the DBT skills manual, but I've sort of added in my own mind to this, uh, options um, that you're now observing, and now you realize you've given yourself some space, some time, a little bit of a pause, and you're observing your, uh, that you also have options for how to continue. And the P is for proceed. Now you proceed. You move forward, maybe in a different direction, maybe in the same direction, but now with a deeper grasp of, of what you have just observed. So you might do stop. Some people will do something physical, like put their hand over their heart to try to just uh, feel their heart, or realize their heart's pounding pretty hard and they want to slow it down. Um, and uh, um, and it gives them a feeling of uh, contacting maybe their center um, that helps them be into wise mind, get into wise mind. Um, another one would be, um, you know, whatever. I can't think of one right now, but a phrase. You could, it could be that you have a certain phrase that's not the same as breathe or wake up or uh, saying stop or anything else, but you may have a, a phrase. There is a, another acronym besides stop that I've taught once before, I think, on an earlier podcast. It's R-A-I-N, RAIN, and that can be helpful. Um, R-A-I-N, where R means recognize, so it's sort of recognize what's going on in you. Stop, basically stop and recognize. And the A uh, stands for allow. Whatever you're noticing in you, allow it to be. Allow it to run its course. Allow it to move around in you. It's not going to kill you, this thing that you notice. Um, So that, uh, that would be part of brain. Uh, The I is investigate. Notice this thing that's going on inside you. Maybe you're heading into a conversation that could lead to a bad outcome, and you just want to investigate what what are you noticing, what are you feeling, what are you thinking about, what are you allowing to go around in you, and uh, investigate that, and you might be able to sort of soften some of the reactions. And N is uh, not is, stands for non-identification. So that could be that now that you're recognizing what's going on in you, notice that it is going on in you, but it is not you. You have choices. You can let it pass. You can act upon it. You can try to soften it. You can try to reduce it. You could try to transform it into a different feeling. Um, you have a lot of choices that come in the whole DBT skills manual. You might say pause to yourself. You might count to 10. You might say, I need a time out. You might walk away. You might take a walk. All of these things are um, ways to get yourself to use mindfulness skills for the moment. They also are, in in and of themselves, skills that appear elsewhere in the manual. Um, You might listen to some music because you find that that's where you become wise. Uh, uh, Things like that. Okay? Whatever you do of these kind of things, again, the best way to use these is to jump in with both feet. You know, if you're going to do breathe, you know, and this is what's helpful to me because I have 
managed to build within myself a ready capacity, ready at any moment almost, to just notice a breath silently. It doesn't require making a big deal about it. Just breathe, and I notice the internal landscape of my sensations of breathing. And then breathe out, breathe in and breathe out, and sometimes say things. With the in-breath, I might say something, and with the out-breath, I might say something in, in my mind. Okay, so let me tell you about a situation of trying to change a trajectory with someone. So you can see how concretely some of these things can be. This also will introduce some of the skills that I'll be covering next time. Uh, from the distress tolerance module, some of those skills that are especially for um, extreme emotional arousal to try to get get your get them down. But it also is just to say, here I just want to capture for you the concrete practicalities of trying to work on finding something that will work, which starts with observing and then trying to change course. You're really trying to change course in the moment. So yesterday, I uh, worked with somebody, uh, a young man, who has had a, a lot of trauma in his life. Uh, won't go into detail. Uh, and uh, when he came in, uh, his mother came in with him because, though she doesn't usually come, but um, I've worked with him for some time, and uh, he's repeatedly... And I've talked to him on the phone when this has happened, but I've ne he's never had this happen while he's with me, that he's in a uh, obviously dissociative state where he's kind of different. He's depersonalized. He's derealized. He acts like he's a little boy. His voice gets quieter. And I had heard all about this and heard it on the phone. But So the mother wanted to make sure that he came while, so that I could see what it is that happens at home. Um so he comes in and, and I really, really, you know, my first impulse was, oh my God, what happened? And it, it just, he's there and he's in a state that if I say almost anything, he'll say, okay, 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 things like that, which, um, and, and agree with me about almost anything and look like in a kind of robotic state of mind. So my goal, I realized, was to change the trajectory, change the movie, try to pause the movie, hit the pause button, interrupt, um, and shift back towards uh, maybe be uh, recapturing or re-adopting re one's his, uh, his usual self. Uh, so what did we do? Um, first, we just talked. And uh, I just talked and had him describe the experience to me in his body, uh, <clears throat> in his thinking, uh, what is where he had some real negative, really negative thoughts and some worries. And uh, talking about these things gave me a little bit of a clue about what's going on inside him, but it didn't change anything. Uh, I tried shifting topics with him and very deliberately. And let's talk a about something that's uh, less emotional in nature. Um, let's talk about, uh, you know, something that actually he's usually interested in, which is either movies or the Boston Red Sox. Um, we did some of that. It didn't do anything. Um, uh, he was very agitated and didn't want to just sit still, so I suggested that we stand and even feel free to walk around the room. So actually, he walked around and around my couch, 
And I just sort of stood around and moved around, and we would talk, continue talking. didn't seem to make much difference. Um, <clears throat> here's where I then started to use some of the uh, um, skills that come from the distress tolerance module, because I said, you know what, I, wa I wanted him to feel himself in his body, kind of activate his proprioceptive uh, capacity to feel himself because he sort of felt like he was outside of himself and a little bit unreal. So I had him go over next to me and I leaned against the wall with my back against the wall and had him stand next to me and lean against the wall with his back against the wall. And then I just said, let's talk about what the feeling is of the back against the wall. And we sort of described it back and forth and I felt like he was participating a little bit more in that. And then I said, in order to feel a stronger um, proprioceptive uh, uh, sensation, I said, well, let's, let's squat some, you know, bend our knees and squat down some so that we, have, we can feel the um, tension in our uh, quadriceps. And he's more athletic than me, so I wasn't worried that we were going to hurt him. I thought he figured it would be me. And we sort of did a couple of squats and leaning against the wall and asked if he could feel his thighs uh, feeling tighter, and yes, he did. And I didn't know if that was going to help. Um, and uh, then I, uh, I taught, I, we had already been over this once before, but I had him do what's called paced breathing, really uh, gradually slowing the breath down until a breath was down to about an average of five or six breaths, total cycles of a breath per minute, which is a breath about every 10 to 12 seconds. Slowed it down to that and then had him prolong the out-breath compared to the in-breath. And we did that for a while while still leaning against the wall and still with our thighs like that, crouched a little bit. And so we're really generating sensation, and I'm trying to get his focus onto uh, powerful enough sensations uh, to bring him back into his normal um, experience of his body and self. Um, then uh, I brought in from, I have a refrigerator freezer right there, and I opened it up and gave him uh, a sort of a pad, a pack uh, of ice uh, in a bag, which he put uh, over his forehead and to upper cheeks and had him hold those things there and you'll hear more about that if you don't know that skill uh, you know it sometimes brings people down from very high arousal that can lead to dissociation or flashbacks or just extreme uh, emotional distress um, so we were doing all these different things that are associated with that and then it, we did it for a while and I didn't notice much difference though but it doesn't always instantly help and then uh, I said, you know, there's another thing that's one of these kind of skills, which is uh, basically to get your heart going with some exercise. So would you be willing to do jumping jacks? And lo and behold, uh, he was very capable just immediately. And I sort of had to do pretend jumping jacks because I'm still sort of in late, later stages, but still stages of recovery from a hip replacement surgery. But uh, he did very vigorous jumping jacks for about five minutes and with, you know, was getting some heavy breathing going and, and, and his heart rate undoubtedly was speeding up. And that seemed to make him feel a little more like himself because he's kind of a physically active being, but still 
still talking in the same way. So uh, in that way, it was not much different. And then we sat down and I said, did any of those things help you very much? And said, well, maybe the jumping jack helped some. And But it was still the same pattern of speech. Um, and I said, well, is, now that we've done these things, is there anything else you can think of that creates, that, that you think could jar you back to a more normal feeling state? And he said, only things that make me think positive thoughts. I thought, oh, okay, I hadn't thought of that. I said, well, what would make you think positive thoughts? And he said, well, basically, I get really happy when I hear the early Beatles music. I said, oh, all right, so um, let's go on YouTube right here with my computer, and let's look up some early Beatles and... You know, so we had a couple Beatles songs, and he he got up and sort of danced to them, and uh, was very active, and then and seemed happier, and then sat down, and then I continued to talk with him, and guess what? He was like totally back to his normal self. Uh, it was amazing how that turned the corner. Now I have no idea whether the whole package together turned the corner, or whether one of the earlier things like the jumping jacks did. Or whether it was specifically that. You don't know if you would have gone immediately to that. But this, to me, is a good example of how you figure out uh, how to get somebody to do something that's effective, to change their state, is that it won't change. It rarely will just change on a dime. It rarely changes immediately. Uh, it usually, and, and this was a, this, this young man was very cooperative. He's willing to try anything. Uh, sometimes people in that kind of state are not willing or able to try things. You have to figure out within the realm of what they can try, try to get them to try it and get them to do all, all the way. Um, and it helps if you do things along with them so that they feel a little bit less self-conscious. Um, so that helped. But, you know, the initial step of all of this had to do, you might say, with stop. Uh, stop, uh, observe. You know, and what was stop here? Well, stop was at least observe your pattern. Observe what's happening. Observe that you're in a depersonalized state. You're in a derealized state. You're in some kind of dissociative state. Observe that, even if you won't remember later that you were in it, or even if you don't remember now how you got in it. It's kind of like just observe that, and that's a very strangely powerful thing to do because it sounds so benign and receptive, but actually just to bring the mind non-judgmentally and with attention to that can really make a difference. So I just wanted to go over that with you as a uh, an actual example um, of uh, how you have to keep at things once you have used the booster rocket and you've got yourself, so to speak, uh, on your way. Um, now, there's something here I wanted to do. Uh, oh gosh. Hmm. I have some papers of other kinds in front of me here, but I had something I wanted to go over with you. And uh, here it is. I'm going to close today with a song. Uh, because we're going to be moving on from some mindfulness, and I'm going to close with a mindfulness rap that I wrote, but using the background music from Eminem. And this is called The Hymn 
to acceptance. And at the end of this will be the end of the podcast for today. So I'm going to uh, get the music going here from my phone, and then I'll get started. And this has in it a lot of mindfulness concepts. So get yourself thinking about acceptance, how important it is to get into an acceptance frame of mind in order to do almost anything effectively. Okay, you there? Accept. Be here. Let go. There ain't no self. Beware of those who try to sell you fame and wealth. See what is real and put those delusions on the shelf. I am you. You are me. And we are everybody else. Bring your sorry butt back to the here and now where you are living, man. The past, you know, is nothing but memory. The future, bro, is made up of fiction. So if you really want to reap the gorgeous heap that we have all been given, wake up, smell the Starbucks, man, and be here now. I don't say this to harass you, friend, or to shame you, or to blame you. To tame our monkey minds is a game that's just insane to do, but when we crack open this precious little shell and find it in the middle is this moment, we do allow in all the wonders of both heaven and hell where our mindful little brains get a bird's eye view. You got to let go of desires, beliefs. You got to let go to see reality in bold relief. Let go of all the clutter, all the judgments that you mutter while clinging to attachments that carry you to grief. If you can find your mind to here and now time, you'll find the middle path, which is just beyond belief. And know, truly know, that no one walks the world alone. you got to know, yo, that your bones connected to my bone and your moans, yo, your moans are connected to my moans and your zone. Yo, your zone is the same as my zone. How could things around us be anything other than exactly what they seem to be? We know when things go around, they come around, and everything drains to the same gigantic sea. Reality may suck man. And in life we accumulate a shitload of scars, but everything's perfect, even fucked up stuff. You can learn that shit. Pay attention to the Dharma. Accept. Be here. Let go. There ain't no self. Beware of those who try to sell you fame and wealth. See what is real and put delusions on the shelf, man. I am you. You are me. And we are everybody else. All right, that's it. I'm off for the next three weeks because of vacation. 
and I'll be back and I'll make an announcement in my usual places about that. Okay? So everybody have uh, a good month of August.